Welcome to Green and Red, Scrappy Politics for Scrappy People, a regular podcast on radical environmental and anti-capitalist politics, brought to you by Bob Bazanko and Scott Parkin. Welcome to the Silky Smooth Sounds of the Green and Red podcast. I am your co-host, Scott Parkin, in Berserkly, California. And as always, I am joined by... I'm Bob Bazanko, deep in the bowels in the heart of Texas. <laughs> Bob, it's sad that we have to refer to it like that. It does have a, a certain stench there in Houston, particularly as we move into spring and summer. Yeah, you, you can smell Abbott and Cruz and Paxton from all, all the way from Austin. So, Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Cruz is there in, in River Oaks, too, so he's not really that far from the Green River well, Studios. I, I, he, in might be in Can- he might be in Cancun, too. So. <laughs> yeah. Cancun to head. Even though the weather's nice, you just skip out of town. Yeah. That's the indicator that the storm's coming is that Ted waiting on a flight that flies out to Mexico. It's like Groundhog Day. Ted Cruz tells you what the weather's going to be. Yeah. Yeah. Folks, here on the return of the Scrappy Sunday, we're, we got a couple good things in store for you today. We're going to kick off with the radical history this week in radical history. And I'll kick it off, I guess. I'm actually just going to talk about one date in in history, which is February 21st in 1934 was the assassination of Augusto Cesar Sandino, who was a Nicaraguan independence fighter in face of resistance to U.S. domination in the 1930s. And then on February 21st, 1965 was the is the 59th anniversary of the assassination of Malcolm X. We've actually done shows on Malcolm X on the Green and Red podcast that will be, we often replay on the event, his birthday on, on May 19th, and you'll probably be seeing that again. But Malcolm X was a, a speaker and activist in American civil rights and black power movements. Uh, and he was assassinated while preparing to address a crowd of supporters uh, in New York. There's also been some news this week around Malcolm X, which is that Former members of his security detail are, are now claiming that they had been preemptively arrested by the New York Police Department and, and accusing the feds of being involved in that as well, just to pull away security from Malcolm X's security detail so it'd be easier for his enemies to get him. Don't want to go too much down the conspiracy rabbit hole, but that is like a, a bit of news that's come up this week. The other thing, the other actually February 21st date I want to mention happened here in the Bay which was in 1967 when Malcolm X's widow, Betty Shabazz, was actually visiting the Bay for a a sort of memorial for Malcolm X and her security were two different groups, both named the Black Panthers. There was the Black Panthers of Northern California, and then there was the Black Panther Party of Self-Defense, which is the sort of famous Black Panthers. And the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense, which included Huey Newton, actually had an armed standoff with the police around the security of of Betty Shabazz, which actually is one of the things that propelled them into some notoriety, both locally here in the Bay Area and nationally. Uh, I only have one thing today, but and it's a small thing, but on March 3rd, the famous IWW troubadour, Joe Hill, wrote his famous song, put out his famous song, The Preacher and the Slave. And I say that because I think it's timely. It's all about how the bosses, and this could be a slave plantation in Joe Hill's case, it was in, in industrial America, the, the fields and so forth, use religion to keep them under control. The preacher and the slave is all about that. Uh, work all day, live on hay, 
you'll get pie in the sky when you die. And seeing the the incredible power today of of some of these religious groups in distracting us and suppressing us. Uh, we have the Chief Justice uh, of the Court in Alabama invoking God to to say that frozen embryos are are people, right? Those clinics should be getting great tax refunds this year with all the children they could you know deduct. But uh, anyway, Joe Hill, one of the greats, preacher and the slave. I played in class, and it's one of the better labor radical songs I think ever. Just brilliant. Anyway, that was uh, done on uh, 113 years ago today. And uh, from a more personal note, since you mentioned Malcolm, on February 22nd marked the 30th year anniversary of my father's death. And on a personal level, he was not a uh, communist or anything like that, but he was a, a longtime labor organizer and, and labor union president who just had a, a great influence on me, getting interested in politics, getting understanding the class nature of America, understanding labor and things like that. To uh, Nagola Butsanka Chendan. So. Chendan, hundred years. You know how people who are, are watching or listening, I'm sure you're familiar with this. Yeah, Scrappy Sunday, we just picked a couple of things that we're, we want to talk about, stuff that maybe we haven't talked about in a while or and today, I just wanted to mention to talk a little bit just as, as a reminder to myself, as much as anything else, that the war in Ukraine is still going on and the United States is still in, in, intimately and intensely and immensely uh, involved in it. Gaza is getting the attention as it should because it's just one of the most horrific scenes, incalculably and unimaginably horrific things that you're going to see. But the war in Ukraine is still going strong and the United States is still pumping tons of money and weapons into that. We know now, and again, the U.S. media won't report on it, but there are now several corroborative stories that, in fact, there were the, the, the Russians, in fact, did reach out <clears throat> to try to negotiate based on the idea that they Ukraine should not join NATO, NATO should not be expanded, and the U.S. and the British always forced them to scuttle those talks, right? So we know that the United States, just as it has done in God, why wouldn't it, right? U.S. is is it's vetoing ceasefire resolutions at the U.N. for Gaza after Biden says, no. Oh, and this is Biden's thing, right? He talks about how bad things are, whatever, and then he just goes in. Third time this week, even though they say they're calling for a ceasefire now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they keep rejecting the, these things. And so in, in Ukraine, we're getting the same thing, right? The United States is terribly afraid of negotiated peace. It reminds me of John Kennedy in 1963. The guy was trying to get out of Vietnam, so he has a coup. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it's what they're doing. It is it's actually it is uh, similar. It's a brutal, bloody, costly war. The number of total casualties, which is killed and wounded. And again, I've looked I was looking for numbers again this morning and they're just all over the place. But I think it's it seems to be like fairly safe to say that over 600,000 Russians and Ukrainians have been killed and wounded. More Russians. Russia has suffered well over 300,000 of those casualties. The numbers dead uh, are, are again, all over the place. The number of civilians killed is great, but in two years, and, and I'm talking about this because the, it, we're at the two-year anniversary of the uh, initial Russian attack on Ukraine in 2022. And, but even in two years, the, the uh, damage, the murder of civilians is actually lighter than it is in Gaza in three and a half months, four months, right? Um, the war has been incredibly expensive. Uh, the Quincy Institute, which uh, uh, features uh, our Green and Red's friend, Andy Basevich, who's just a great scholar, has put out some really good data on Ukraine. Um, in two years, the United States has spent over $113 billion, with a B, obviously, dollars there 
uh, about half of that, almost half of that is specifically in military aid. Then you have economic aid and aid for weapons. So $113 billion. The weapons delivered include 76 tanks, 3,600 armored vehicles, over 3 million artillery rounds, and 400 million uh, rounds of small arms ammunition. Didn't Pelosi recently say something like they're not killing them with our weapons, or maybe that was in Israel? Either way, it's, it's preposterous, right? Because the U.S. is subsidizing these slaughters at, at both places. What I found interesting is that Quincy Institute has some demographic information. When the war began, uh, the average age of a Ukrainian soldier was in the, the 30s, the 30, 35, early 30 range. Now it's in the mid 40s, yeah. which obviously indicates the losses they're taking. They're losing a lot of young men. And so they're going back and getting people who normally would not be in the military because of their age. The uh, Ukrainian population uh, in 2021 was 43.5 million. Today, it's 37.9 million. 6.3 million Ukrainians have been displaced outside Ukraine. Three and a half million have been internally displaced. Remember when this began, Americans were like, adopt a Ukrainian, bring him in, this and that. Obviously, we're not seeing any of that with Gaza. And then uh, most interestingly, when the war began, about 75% of Americans supported it. Those numbers are down now to 47%. And the number of people who said that U.S. support was too much when the war began was at 7%, and now it's at 31%. And one of the things that I often found, we've talked about this before, really curious about all this, is that much of the resistance actually is coming from the, the crazy right-wingers. There's a significant level, and they're doing it for who knows. I do suspect that it has a lot to do with just Trump and Russia and all that kind of crap. Mm. But the reality is the left has really been bizarre on Ukraine. We have one of the first shows we ever did was about NATO, NATO liberals, and they believe in freedom and non-intervention, all that, yet they're gung-ho about the war. Uh, Biden still has the support of the Democratic establishment. And you know, I think it shows his true colors, too. We like to, liberals like to talk a lot about, but Biden in both Ukraine and in, in Palestine really has sharpened his talents and is engaging in war crimes. So, yeah. My tell around the sentiment of liberals is what you're on bumper stickers and houses here in, in Berkeley. And so we are a lot of signs that say ceasefire now, but then there's also Ukrainian flags. Yeah, yeah. And it's just like a it's just like a, a normal thing to see around here. Before before the Israelis started mass murdering people in Gaza, that what you saw were Ukrainian flags and Black Lives Matter. Yeah. And a lot of these kind of Leftists, like the new politics crowd, the Tempest crowd, just all over the place. It's weird because they're making this argument that Ukraine and Palestine are on the same side, which I don't get at all. It's much easier. And I don't want to get into all this stuff about Ukraine's a bunch of Nazis, because there are some crazy lefty pro-Russian, pro-Putin people out there. But the reality is they're obviously very different, right? It's a lot easier, I think, to understand what's happening in Palestine and actually defend the resistance there. But the real point that I think is being missed in all this is, especially as leftists, is I thought the whole idea was to oppose to oppose imperialism and seek peace, right? And peace means you quit fighting. And the same people who are adamant about a ceasefire in Palestine, lefties who are adamant about a ceasefire in Palestine, are still gung-ho about, about Ukraine, not all of them, and probably more liberal than lefty, and who knows. But the fact of the matter is the war is going on. It's not getting as much attention. I think the concern now is that, in fact, um, Ukraine's in pretty bad shape. 
which is something because remember early on, you know, that there was all this optimism, Russia's on the ropes and it's going to end soon. And the reality is, you know, once a war goes on for a year, then it's likely that it will last for close to 10 years mm -hmm. outside of real intervention to end it. And so we're clearly not seeing that. The budgets, the numbers are just immense, right? Uh, in between, if you combine Ukraine and Israel, you're looking at over, I think, like a quarter trillion dollars, I believe. I, I don't have the precise number written down, but I think it's like over $250 billion. $250 billion, right? For a country uh, that has inadequate health care. We're talking about the United States now. Israel, we're actually paying, Israel has national health care. USAID is, is subsidizing Israel, right? Yeah. But the United States can find $250 billion to I bet you, Ukraine does too, don't they? Uh, probably. While we don't have in the United States, we have this healthcare crisis, uh, education crisis, the defunding of, of public services like schools and libraries, just the school debt, school loans, inadequate wages, equal litany of it, right? right. And Biden is far more eager to use. It's funny because I do think the guy's kind of addled and mesomorphed. But when it comes to Israel, he's on top of his game, man. <laughs> have you ever noticed that? Yeah. When it comes to defending mass murder and ethnic cleansing and billions of dollars, he's got his he's got his wits about him. Yeah, but, I would say the same thing about Ukraine too. Is that he, yeah, he knows his game there. Yeah, yeah. When he's actually, I think he gets off on it. I really think he is a loathsome and dangerous guy. Obviously, I think Trump is just a different kind of cat altogether. But Biden, you're, it's scary. These two guys are are both you know scary, and the parties behind them obviously are too. I I think it's also it's an interesting an interesting tell that that. You, the average age of the Ukrainian soldier now is in their mid-40s, where it was in the, the mid-30s two years ago or a year and a half ago. And the the news stories coming out is that actually Zelensky is having a lot of difficulty being able to like put new troops in. And it's one of it's one of their like growing concerns. I think they're concerned about the Republicans also trying to block USA to Ukraine. They're very concerned about actually how there's some serious degrading of their fighting force happening. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure they're terrified because Trump has said he would just tell Russia to do whatever it wants. It's funny because as a left or attack other NATO allies, attack other NATO allies. <laughs> and as a lefty, like we've been opposed to NATO for generations, really. Yeah. And it's hilarious once more that the attack on NATO is coming from these crazy right wingers and these liberals are now defending these huge military alliances, which are incredibly expensive and destabilizing. So the world is, is really upside down on, on these issues. Yeah. When in two, like around 2005, six, when things in Iraq started to go badly, the U.S. military was having a crisis in reinforce and reenlistments. And I knew some guys who had been in the military much earlier in life. They were like in their mid 40s and they were getting calls from recruiters asking if they would big bonuses too to come back. There, so yeah, you reach a certain point. People don't want to fight when they perceive it to be like futile. And you know. there are all kinds of stories about people from Latin America wanting to immigrate to the U.S. and they were getting immigration status if they join the U.S. military to go to Iraq yeah. and Afghanistan. And the just the, I'm sure that Zelensky is looking at similar things. Yeah, there's clearly a, a, a morale issue that uh, the media doesn't really talk about very much yeah. uh, going on. We have that. And, and uh, since I just want to mention one other thing, since we were just talking about Biden and, and uh, so the Ukraine war is still with us, so is COVID. And I think mm. that's something that's really gone. And, and the reason it came to, to light the other day, I saw an article about um, excess deaths, the number of people who died in excess of what you would normally expect, which is another good way to measure the, the, the COVID probably with more accuracy. 
And what struck me was I went to the CDC and I, I guess I knew this, but it just hadn't registered. They quit keeping statistics on all this stuff. It just, it's not there, right? Um, they just wished it away. They willed it away. In the first year of COVID, when Trump was still president, about 300, 320,000 people died. In the years since then, with Biden as president, anywhere from 800,000 to a million have died. Now, I think Trump at the beginning had opportunities that other people did. He could have done something proactively initially. And I think that would have made a big difference. But the reality is Biden didn't do anything either, really. Came in, campaigned against it, right? Told people to wear a mask and then basically declared it all over. I'm not sure if it's over or if it never happened, but that's the choices we have now. Oh, it never happened or it's over. I was, I was, And now I think the initiative has gone to a lot of the crazies, like the anti-vax people and, and all that kind of stuff. And it's it's really chilling. And, and it's just another issue that the Democratic Party is utterly passed. They just, they wave the flag and, and they've done nothing, you know, and and uh, it's, it's really terrifying. You know, long COVID is now affecting huge numbers of people, you know, it affects your respiratory system, it affects your brain. And so this stuff is still out there. And I'm not sure if insurances are paying for testing anymore. Also, if anybody wants to understand the true nature of capitalism, study the development of COVID tests, COVID vaccines, and so on. The U.S. government funded all this with trillions of dollars, right? And who's getting the profit from it, right? Smith, Klein, Glaxo, and all these other pharmaceutical companies, just like the weapons manufacturers in, who are just like profiting so amazingly off Ukraine and, and Israel, a lot of these pharmaceutical companies. If we could say this about many different... Good. Uh, I just, I'm just going to comment. I, I can't imagine that the U.S. government subsidizing a, an a, an industry to be able to make a lot of money off of people suffering and dying. It just baffles me. That happens. Yeah, it's funny. Remember when it was a Palin who was warning us about death panels? Well, that, that's what we got. You know. <laughs> yeah. That's what we have. Some insurance company functionary probably making fifteen dollars an hour is saying nope, that kind of stuff. So yeah. Anyway, COVID. It's like when you see a school shooting. And you say, oh, this will finally make people wake up. I don't say that anymore. But uh, a lot of people said, oh, they're killing little kids in school with guns. Uh, and in the same way, I think the utter disastrous, horrific failure of public health and COVID should, that's what we all we need to know. The way COVID was handled and, and, and nothing's going to be done. Nothing's mm -hmm. going to get done about that. That's the, 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 the thing that's really frightening. And there are other bad viruses coming down the pike. Uh, you, can guarantee, you can be sure of it. And. You know, and the next time we may, not, we may not be so lucky. I think the death toll in the U.S. has been estimated. Again, these numbers are all over somewhere between 1.1 and 1.3 million. And if you include excess deaths, it's more than that, right? Numbers mm -hmm. over what the actuaries would suggest. This is the way America works, right? We have these crises like the war in Ukraine or like COVID, and then you get distracted from them, and then something else comes up, and then they just get passed by the wayside. And, and the net result is that some corporations like the pharmaceuticals and weapons industries are getting immensely even more rich than they ever had been before on it. And last week on Scrappy Sunday, you did the segment on military profits, right, from the war. And that's what we're looking at. And I think we're really in these bleak times. So anyway, take care of each other, I guess. I don't really have any solution to it, but I've been thinking a lot about the kind of persistence of these problems and the continued just uh, the way that most Americans just ignore it. You know? yep. The media, yeah. the, politics, the political class, right? And it's it's just an ugly system that's did, been, did designed, you, did, it's been designed this way. Did you see the the Surgeon General of Florida? He's got to be the most. How do I get a medical? How do you go to med school? 
And he must have gone, that must be like uh, Saul Goodman's uh, law school, Med School of American Samoa or whatever, right? Even the Grenada or whatever. Yeah. I, now in, in Florida, you don't even have to, like, you can go to school with measles. And there's like tons of kids now are not vaccinated. I don't, what I'm saying is like, these parents are essentially sacrificing their children. You're exposing your kids to a deadly disease, right? Yeah. It's nuts. You know, it's really crazy. I, when, but Florida and Texas, what baffles me is that there's an educated group of people there that is a big, there, there's a lot of educated people in states like Texas and Florida, because there's a lot of money there. There's a lot of wealth. And yet yeah. we're putting these Neanderthals into office. Texas had whatever, eight terms of Republican governors or whatever, who just are George Bush now looks like Eugene Debs compared to what we got. He's, it's the best. It's the best governor since I moved here. It's George Bush. Yeah, then saying that's saying something, and it's just like this. It's this down. This race to the bottom that's going on yeah. uh, in some of these, like in some of these red states. Yeah, I was going to talking about. You mentioned what we talked about in last week's episode, where I was talking about how some of these like climate sustainability mutual funds, supposedly social conscious, socially conscious. Mutual funds are also heavily invested in the weapons manufacturers. I want to talk a little bit about some other climate some other climate finance institutions, which we're seeing backpedaling. And so in the last decade, two decades, we've actually seen where the nonprofit sector has run campaigns somewhat, you know, at least winning, somewhat effective in that they have won agreements, voluntary agreements from uh, some of these bigger financial institutions. And we've seen, I've been part of these campaigns and we've seen campaigns against Citibank and we've seen campaigns against J.P. Morgan Chase and Bank of America. And then there's also the big three of the sort of asset managers. And we've also seen movement from, you know, asset managers like State Street and, and BlackRock. What we're seeing now, one, first, there's been a lot of critique of these institutions trying to be more sustainable to think about what they're investing in with fossil fuel projects or what have you and the critique is coming from the right where they are calling it woke capitalism and texas and west virginia have at least cut off business with some of these in investment institutions uh if they have a, a climate pledge and so i don't actually think that these institutions are necessarily bowing to the the power of the republican party and their critique of vocabulism i do see it as an opportunity for them to begin to backpedal on uh, some of their climate pledges which is actually what is happening and so a couple of weeks ago maybe a couple of months ago there was actually an article about how bank of america actually is reneged on a lot of its like funding its pledge not to fund coal fired power plants and coal mining and things like that now there's been a, another article has come out this week saying that J.P. Morgan, State Street, and a, another Pacific-based investment firm called PIMCO have all pulled out of the Climate Action 100, which is an international coalition of money managers that pushed big companies to address climate issues. And so we're seeing Wall Street really retreat from these environmental pledges. I actually think it's just not... I, I think them, they see it as an opportunity to just not have to self-regulate of who they're putting their money into. These are also, in many ways, these Wall Street is a, a, a liberal bastion, right? It's like they're, they're financially, physically conservative, but they're socially liberal. Lots of people who work at these institutions are very concerned about the climate crisis. Superstorm Sandy, Sandy actually flooded Wall Street, and yet 
the power elite at the top in the C-suites are, are pulling back on that. And it also makes me question the campaigns that since we've seen this sort of decline of organized labor, we've seen this a decline of powerful community organizations or real radical movements, which can, you know, take on Wall Street. We've seen the rise of this more liberal, de-radicalized nonprofit sector, which runs these campaigns against these corporations. And it seems like it's in many ways, they exist to de-radicalize people's movements. They take the sting out. And then there's also, it's just, these are failing terribly. And we're seeing, I think this year we've seen more emissions than we had in a long time. The, the, the erratic weather and floods and fires and things like that are only getting worse. And now these institutions, these financial institutions actually feel impervious to any sort of critique from social movements. Yeah, that's the peril of woke capitalism. I do think because of the pressure that people like you put on it, they had to respond. But then a, a lot of these Republican legislatures, especially, have really given them an out, right? Mm-hmm. With these, because Texas has these laws now where you can't invest in, or you can't be like kind of one of those socially conscious investing firms and work with the state. It's obviously very corrupt and you know, it's a scary situation, especially with look at Southern California, what, what atmospheric rivers. What do you have? Uh, up your way, what were they called? Those things you had last year, that weather event. Atmospheric uh, River. Atmospheric. Didn't you have some kind of bomb too, though? Or, and there, there, there was some other stuff too. Yeah, yes, was, I'm blanking on the name, but yes, there yeah, was some catchy, catchy name for it. Yeah, I mean, we're seeing these amazing droughts and huge storms. The North, this was one of the most mildest winters that they'd had in years, right? There was very little snow in places like Chicago and in Ohio. This winter, yeah, everything's upside down. And obviously the search, the, the, the quest, the hunger for profits is, is more important than the survival of the planet. But that's not a surprise. It's always been that way. Yeah. Although Biden finally went to East Palestine, Ohio. I don't think anything's happened, but yeah, the world is obviously in disarray. Um, I saw also, I don't know if you're done with that, but I was just going to actually give you a segue. But so I was going to say, I saw that this week, your favorite uh, politician in San Francisco Nancy Pelosi has made some news again. Yeah, former Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, who's a, a big supporter of Israel. I actually think it was a quote from her that from the, we were that you mentioned before, where she said that, oh, the Israelis aren't using American weapons, yeah. which is ridiculous. Yeah. But but Code Pink, and we've had folks from Code Pink on the show before, have been doing a hunger strike outside of uh, Pelosi's house. It's actually where we saw the video of Pelosi yelling at them, telling them to go back to China, their headquarters. But then they also, last week, they did an action where they threw red paint on her house and they got arrested. One of them, had two, two of them were arrested. One of them is charged with misdemeanors, which Pelosi is pressing charges uh, for throwing the paint. The other person actually had a paintbrush and it dripped on a couple drops on the uniform of a San Francisco police officer. And so she is actually charged with felony battery of an officer. And and I the other dynamic here is that in 2022, San Francisco did a recall of Chase Aboudin, who was the very progressive district attorney and has been repl- replaced with Brooke Jenkins. We actually talked about Brooke Jenkins the other day with Josh Frank because of people in Brooke Jenkins' office have been sending anti-Arab comments to counterpunch. But Brooke Jenkins is also where Chase used to just like throw protest charges out. 
Brooke Jenkins has said that she's going to aggressively protest or excuse me, prosecute all protesters. And so Pelosi is is definitely targeting. They definitely don't like Code Pink. They definitely don't like anti-war in Gaza, anti-ethnic cleansing in Gaza protesters. Also, Biden came here this week and uh, Biden came this week because he's on a fundraising tour of the West Coast to save his campaign. Over a thousand people turned out in Pacific Heights, which is the sort of Beverly Hills of San Francisco, and surrounded the house. There was actually a video I saw this morning of people chasing down Biden's security and, and media detail through the Fairmont, which is the hotel where he actually where he stayed. And there's it's granted it's San Francisco, and there's a lot of strong anti-war, left-leaning politics here, but it is important to note that this is happening all over the country and Biden actually can't go anywhere publicly without having mass crowds, whether it's in Des Moines, Iowa or Pacific Heights and be protested. And these politicians where we think that he's Uncle Joe and we think Nancy Pelosi's this brave member of the resistance who stood up to Trump when no one else would, they're vicious and they're going after our comrades. And so it's really important thing to a really important thing to pay attention to. And there's I know there's a lot of liberals out there who think that we're not being civil enough. And we are not, there's two sides to what's going on in, in Gaza. And, and we just call bullshit on that. And whatever, we don't need civility when there over 12,000 children have been murdered by the Israeli Defense Force. Yeah, I think they've really, if you study politics at all, you're aware of this, but the liberals in the past year sort of really revealed their true kind of McCarthyite underpinnings. <clears throat> they're willing to use the surveillance state. They're willing to use authorities in order to stop people like that you and I know going. Pelosi is vowed. She wants the FBI to start surveillance on anti-war groups, which is doing already. Like it's been doing that forever. And then you have these liberals. Yeah, I forgot to mention that part. <laughs> You have these liberal institutions passing these resolutions to not allow Jewish Voice for Peace or anti-BDS stuff. And the Democrats are just deeply involved in that. I, I think you could make an argument that Trump is scarier than Biden, right? He wants to start like building concentration camps and deport all the Palestinians out of the U.S. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, clearly it, it would be ugly, but you don't have much of a choice there. So yep. tough times ahead. Yeah. Uh, folks, we're going to show you a commercial that we showed in last week's episode. We're going to show that right now, and then we'll be right back with our sort of wrap-up segment with a special guest. Hey, folks. It won't kill you to try it. It'll make you really, really sick. But if you can get to a hospital that hasn't been bombed or still has medicine, You'll probably live. We are bringing this imported, contaminated drinking water to the people in San Francisco. Bottled at the source, made with USA. It's called Gaza Springs. It's raw sewage and unfiltered seawater. And it contains cholera, dysentery, typhoid. And now we can all enjoy the diarrhea that is killing um, babies and toddlers in Gaza. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Oh. <laughs> on, on our website, it says do something, and you can make a donation to the United Nations Relief and Works Agency. You can do something about this if you complain enough. If 
we are loud enough and we complain, and you join protests to complain outside of City Hall, etc. If you call every day to your senators and all the representatives that use that serve you, uh, we can make a difference. We can impact a little bit. And if it doesn't work, then we can start setting things on fire. Do we want to do that? Probably not. So let's do it the bureaucratic way, huh? Biden is enabling this genocide, and Biden can stop it. A commercial that you may have seen in our episode last week uh, for Gaza Springs. And now, as our wrap up segment, we're actually joined by the assistant marketing director of Gaza Springs, Jeff Grubler, who has, has wants to share a little info with us about his product. Jeff, maybe actually start off and tell us what is Gaza Springs? Gaza Springs is imported contaminated drinking water. It's bottled, bottled at the source, and it contains raw, untreated sewage and unfiltered seawater. And it is infused with organic, fermented cholera, dysentery, and typhoid. So you can enjoy the same diarrhea that's killing toddlers in, in Gaza. And uh, so we're, we're basically a startup. We are a startup war profiteer. We don't have the body count that the bigger war profiteers have, but, but our product is going viral. And by viral, hepatitis, smallpox, chickenpox, meningitis. So yeah, so it's really blowing up right now. I've, a lot of bombs blowing up as well. Yeah, we're very excited about rolling this out and getting people in America to get a chance to taste what we are paying for. Jeff, a, a lot of Americans are saying this war is bad. How can you justify selling water? Yeah, everybody's got to make a living. And they they may say the war is bad, but our government is funding it. And they are giving political support to it. And every bomb that's dropping on the most densely populated place in the world right now, I'm not maybe not every bomb, let's say 90% of them are American made. So it's really, I, and, and the thing is, I have to say, we own, as the American taxpayers, we own Gaza Springs. This is, this is a collective company. So yeah. Bad taste for a good cause. <laughs> and what? How are you marketing this to the American people? Where? Yeah. So, so I think you you just showed the little video that that one of my friends made. My my friends and I are just going out on the street and asking people to try Gaza Springs, and uh, doing a little education on the spot um, around it. And and it, it's good. I love for me the the sweet spot is people who are, they look at it and they, they're confused. They don't know what's going on. They're like, you want me to drink that? There was one woman who said, ew, they need to distill their water. <laughs> and, and these group of kids, they, we had a big, the big banner and stuff the, with the label on it. And on our label, we have these like screaming, crying kids. And they're like, what the F is the matter with them? 
And why do they look like that? And they're like, you want me to drink that? And when the response is people in Gaza are drinking this every day. And it's, it's a good way to spark the conversation to get into education. And we're trying to do action as well. We're trying to get people to make donations on the spot to UNRWA, um, the United Nations Relief and, and Works Agency. And we are also trying to get people to, to message Biden, to make phone calls, to fill out the White House. The, the White House, there's a comments thing on, on their website or to tag in social media. I've been doing protests too. So we're doing everything, including encouraging direct action. But And on our website, people can download the, lab, the labels. And I've basically set out instructions how they can start their own Gaza Springs franchise so they can do the same. What's the website? The website is gazasprings.com. I mean, that stuff's so bad, they're going to have to start bringing in water from Flint. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the, what some people did in Flint is what I'd like to see people do with this, too, is there's one going out to people on the street and just doing direct marketing, right, to, to people on the street. But take it to your politicians and challenge them to drink it. Take, hey, you support the war, have a taste of genocide. This is what people in, in Gaza was killing Palestinian toddlers. They're drinking. Why don't you try it? I'm sure Nancy Pelosi would be happy. I was just to drink it. Yeah. Deliver a case to Nancy. Yeah. 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 I, think, I think that's the way to go. Let's see if she'll take a few sips. I doubt it. She's got, yeah, Nancy, you say what you will about her. She has excellent culinary taste. You remember that refrigerator filled yeah. uh, with ice cream? Hagen-Dazs. Yeah. And she's, and doing, she's got plenty of room to put several cases of Gaza yeah, Spring water in it. Yeah. yeah. She's doing very well on the stock market, I hear. And I made made a million this week off NVIDIA, I think. Yeah. yeah. She's making a killing. Yes, she is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think all of our politicians right now, most of them are making a killing, particularly the ones who are getting money from APEC. Yes. Yeah. I think that the Democrats, they are going to, I'm worried. I'm one of the few maybe on the left that's worried that Biden's not going to get elected. I don't want to vote for, the, for him, and but I'm a strategic voter. I vote for who do I want my enemy to be? Who do I want to fight? But there is no way in hell that you're going to get 98% of Arab Americans or Muslims to vote for him. And young people, like you can't say to these kids, kids by kids, anyone under 40. It's like, you, you say to them, oh yes, I know they're doing a genocide, but you still have to vote for them. That's not a good sell. On a, on a uh, bit of a, a, a serious note, um, that whole issue of environmental warfare, uh, it, we just had an interview with uh, Joshua Frank last week, so I would encourage anybody out there to go look at it. And that's actually something that we don't really talk that much about. If you study wars in Korea, Vietnam, uh, the Gulf Wars, the the environmental devastation there. In Vietnam, 
you're still seeing orphanages being set up for kids who were affected by Agent Orange 50 or 60 years ago, depleted uranium in, in Iraq. The issue of drinking water is something obviously we take for granted, but there literally are people dying every day in, in the so-called third world. I think 20,000 kids die from diarrhea because there's just not enough clean yeah. drinking water. And and the, the situation in Gaza is as horrific as any I've heard. It's is terrifying. And, and it's not by mistake. It's obviously intentional, which is actually one of the elements of genocide. People think genocide means you have to kill millions of people. It, it means a lot in environmental war. Removing people from their sources of life is one of the uh, the criteria for it. Gaza you know? was struggling before. Oh, God, uh, yeah. B- b- before they, they, the water situation there before the October 7th was in crisis. And now... What you have, and and I'm glad, Bob, that that you brought this up, because so here's the situation. Israel has destroyed, they're saying 70% of the infrastructure, it's basically all destroyed. There's no way for people to sustain life without massive humanitarian aid in Gaza. They've destroyed everything. Apparently, Hamas hides in the sewer treatment plants. They hide in the grain silos. They are hiding in the farmland. They are hiding in the electrical grid. They're hiding under every road and school. And But you, they destroyed the infrastructure. And, and then when you have, you destroy the infrastructure and then you prevent food from getting in. You prevent water from getting in. You prevent the materials, medicine, and the materials to rebuild oil, gas, whatever, generators, Um, what we have is the combination of of destroying the infrastructure, the blockade, the total siege, which is what the Israeli defense minister said. He is, he's the spokesperson for Gaza Springs. When he said, no food, no water, no medicine, it's all closed. We're dealing with human animals. And they said it, he said it, and that's what they've been doing. They're, they they make excuses and say, oh, it's not us. It's the humanitarian agencies who are really Hamas, who are the ones not letting in, in the food. But so you combine that with destruction of the total sanitation system, where there's literally sewage in the streets and there's garbage everywhere and people are huddled together then you have these epidemics of disease and that is running rampant. And I don't know how, I don't, I don't think anybody really knows how bad it is. They tested for the stuff they have tested and, and found tuberculosis, they've uh, tuberculosis A, cholera, you know, dysentery, like diarrhea is skyrocketing from that. We are going to have there was just a, a study that came out two days ago, and the New York or, or the New York Times reported on it two days ago. I'm, I'm not sure exactly when the study dropped, but it was from the London School of of Hygiene and and John Hopkins, and they put out this joint study, and they said best case scenario if there was a ceasefire today, best case scenario there would be 6,500 excess deaths. Excess, not from just, that would have been alive if the war wasn't going on. But if if the war continues, 
and the, the blockade and everything continues the way it's going, in the next six months, there will be 85,000 excess deaths. 85,750 excess deaths is their estimate. I was surprised pleasantly that the New York Times actually reported on it, but that 85,000 more deaths in six months. And, and that's not even talking about everything else that you brought up in terms of genocide, destroying all the cultural institutions, killing all their doctors, their professors, blowing up the universities, the churches, the mosques. Yep. Um, Those are all components of the genocide yeah. convention. It's not just killing yeah. 6 million people. It's more than that. And I think people don't understand that. Yeah. You know, the word is loaded. There's clearly an ethnic cleansing going on. That's undeniable, but it's bigger than that. But it, obviously, you know, as a professor, the, the scholasticide is really troubling. I suspect Abbott would love to do that here in Texas if he could get away with it. If he uh, yells Hamas, if he yells, it, I think he can get away I, with I it. I told my class here that Hamas blew up the main in 1898 in Havana Harbor. So, you know. <laughs> Uh, that's all you have to do. And then if not, you're anti-Semitic. They have it. They have you both ways. Yeah. Even Jews yeah. now are anti-Semitic. I yeah, mean, we yeah. used to at least be called self-hating Jews. Self-hating. But now yeah. I'm somehow I'm an anti-Semitic Jew. Um, yeah. I don't know. Hey, you're in good company. You, Noam Chomsky, Woody Allen. Um, yeah. Jewish but, Voice uh, for Peace Jewish is for peace. considered a hate group I know. by the ADL now. So that tells you a little about the ADL. So can Uh, we, where can we buy your water? Are you going to be on Amazon and all those other platforms? (laughs) I said, it's going viral. You can go to, I suggest going to Gaza and, uh, and drinking some there, but you could also go to our website, go to, we have a a button on the website that says franchise on gazasprings.com. Go to that You can download the labels, get your own bottles, fill them up. I I wouldn't suggest putting actual poop water in there. I think that if you are having a hard time getting water imported from Gaza yourself, simulate it. Use a little soy sauce, a couple drops, maybe a little teriyaki sauce. And yeah, cut out those labels. Them Maybe you could set up an American subsidiary in Flint and Jackson to produce it there. Great jobs. Ah. You're a job creator. Yeah, I there am. you go. I am. I'm trying to work on some other products as well. Just, I don't know what to do. Nobody, we're all doing what we can. And being that I'm a weirdo, I resort to giving out poop water to people. Fake right? poop water. Fake poop water. <laughs> poo water. But it's, we got to do what we can. And, and I, I, the direct action, shutting down bridges at first, honestly, at first when, and I, and I have done this before I've shut down bridges before. And, but when folks started doing it around this war, at first I was like, oh, everybody's just getting pissed off. I was even one of those people. Now I'm like, you gotta shut it down, shut it down. Um, And here in San Francisco, when we were on the freeway last week, there are some people obviously upset, but there are a lot of people waving and hunking their horns to us too. And it's just, we can't just let this happen without letting them know that there's going to be consequences. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to wrap us folks. We've been talking with Jeff Gruber, who's actually an anti-war activist 
but his alter ego is he's the assistant marketing director at Casa Springs. Longtime anti-war activist in San Francisco and New York. Jeff, it's and uh, an avid listener of the Green and Red podcast. Mm-hmm. And Jeff, if you want to get a hat, we have lots of hat available, green and red trucker hats. I think you would look good in a trucker hat. It's very New York. I think so. Um, yeah. We also, for $25, we have we have the hats for a $25 donation to Green and Red. And then we also have many copies of Bob's first book, Masters of War, for $35. And so if folks are interested in that, you can also make a donation. Just email us at greenredpodcastgmail.com, and we will uh, get you going with that. And also, if you like what you're hearing, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If this you're watching this on YouTube, hit the subscribe button. If you're listening to us on the audio platforms, give us a rate and review. It helps us with the algorithms. And then if you just want to make a donation, go to greenredpodcast.org and hit the support button or become a patron at patreon.com backslash greenredpodcast. Jeff, it was fun having you on today. We'll be promoting Gaza Springs in Thank you. on our website and in the show notes and all of that sort of stuff. Everyone else out there just misbehave and make a lot of trouble. We'll talk to you soon. Preacher and the slave. Long haired preachers come out every night. Try to tell you what's wrong and what's right. But when asked how about something to eat, well, they will answer in voices so sweet. Hey, you will eat by and by in that glorious land above the sky. army they pray and they clap and they sing and they play and when they've got all your coin on the drum they will tell you when you're on the bomb oh you will eat by and by in that glorious land above the sky work and pray down payment on your house I hear a sinner and a bad man they tell I'm